yet, please go and see Barbara and Anne-Sophie at the welcome desk. They'll give you a little goodie bag with some bits and pieces in, some info about who we are as a church. There's some chocolate in there and other little goodies. Um, they'll ask you to just fill in some details so we can get in touch with you during the week and welcome you to the church, let you know what's going on, invite you to some newcomers events. Um, if you look on the seats around you, you'll see one of these cool little yellow flyers or mustard flyers. Um, there is a women's gathering happening on Saturday, the 10th of November, in this very room at 10.30 a.m. Um, the amazing Rachel Bauer is coming to speak. So come along, bring your friends, bring your neighbors, bring your colleagues, bring your families. Um, there will be childcare for those of you who have a need to bring children. So some of the men will be looking after the, the, the kids in the gym. So bring your kids along, and there'll be cake and coffee and just a general good time. So there we go. <laughs> um, donuts are going to be served now. We're going to have a short break, and then we're going to hear from Kate. So turn to someone you don't know and say hello.
one out When death had claimed its victory The king of love had given up his life The darkest day in history There on a cross they made for sinners For every curse is blood a tongue One final breath and it was finished But not the end we could have known For the earth began to shake And the veil was torn What sacrifice was made As the heavens very good morning to you all. It's lovely to see you all here this morning. Good morning. I love this church. I have been at this church for so many years. I got saved in this church when I was 21 and now I am 50. And so I've been here for 29 years. I came, back, I came in here really quite burnt from life. I used to smoke. This is when we used to be able to smoke everywhere. Smoke at the back of church and um, be quite rebellious. But actually, all I was looking for at that point was 
the Lord. I was looking, I was trying to find out, is this God real? Is he who he says he is? Anyway, I know this morning, aren't we so blessed with our worship here? I mean, our bands are incredible, so I praise God for our people in our bands. But I just know the Lord is here this morning. I mean, he's with us all every week, but I feel like there's some people here, and I know someone's come, Linda's come up with a word. But I just felt, Linda, do you want to just share what you felt like the Lord said to you this morning? Um, yes, I just felt a very, very strong presence that God is here this morning. And it's, it's a truth always, but just this morning, he is here with the power to heal us and the grace to forgive us. And I just really feel we need to be really expectant this morning because I, I really feel God wants to do something with us. Thank you. Does anyone else have any words? Okay. Well, we're gonna do, I'm going to do something slightly different. I always try to do something different. You know what I'm like. I said this morning, so what we're going to do, just very quickly, not to scare anyone, is we're going to turn some of the lights out because uh, I have a painting I want to show you. And James, do you want to hit the lights? <laughs> hit the lights. And... Um, you can sort of see the, you'll see it more powerfully in a minute. It is Rembrandt's The Prodigal Son. Just to give you some info on this painting, it was painted the last two years of his life. And if you don't know anything about Rembrandt, it was that he was known as the person who did a lot of portraits, self-portraits of himself. He actually did hundreds, well, I would say a hundred of portraits of himself, and they were well sought after. Charles I had them. Many people of, with great wealth and prestige, had his paintings. But he also had, there was another painting called The Prodigal Son in the Tavern, which is of him and his wife. And he's got hair, and he's got, you know, and he looks quite happy. Actually, the face looks quite different. He's not, you can sort of say there's a lot in his face. But he is with his wife, who sadly died after having their final child. But this painting was painted, as I've already said, the last two years of his life. And actually, he was buried in an unmarked grave. He would mark out, he would get his people, who he was training with, to um, act out the passages in the Bible. I don't know much about his faith, but I know I love this painting. I love the painting. I love what it what it's saying. I love his texture. It's actually very different to many of his other's, other work. The other thing I just wanted to note, if you look up, um, if you go to the National Gallery, actually, you'll see some of Rembrandt's painting. And in the corner, there is a word, um, which I won't try and pronounce, but it means selfie. He's written Rembrandt and then the word selfie. So he sort of knew that, you know, the selfie thing was going to come in. But he's the only of the great masters who taught and taught to us in autobiography, in paintings. Works of art, creativity is so powerful. We must not lose the power of art and creativity, not only in the church, but outside the church. Um, I went to the National Gallery the other day after, I've got this new group called Art and Faith, and we meet in um, Battersea Park in a lovely cafe. And the whole idea behind it was that we were going to take art and the Christian faith out into the cafes. And I've got this lovely, lovely group, and I am not, please hear me say, I am not setting myself up as some great art guru, because I really am not. The other people in my group 
bring to the table much more than I do. They are an incredible group. But the whole idea is that we would sit in the cafe and I, would, I have these paintings um, photocopied and we would talk. And, I, and in my head, the idea would be is that people would gather, come and gather around and be intrigued by the painting and would ask questions. So when I went to the National Gallery the other day, which is completely free, I went in and I was, it was packed. And there were so many paintings of Christ and of, of, the, of every Bible story. And people were looking at these paintings. Looking, and I was thinking, Lord, are you speaking to them? as you speak to me through this work of art. Just for a moment, before I start talking, preaching, just take for a moment, look at the painting. Who are you at this point in time? I can say to you, I have, I have personally feel like I've been the prodigal son, prodigal daughter, the eldest son, eldest daughter, if you, apparently the, the faintest person in the back of the picture is the mother and the guy, the chap who you can sort of see who's sitting down, he's, quite, he's meant to be of quite officially, he's quite wealthy apparently. Um, and this is the, prodig the other son and obviously the prodigal son and the father. So I feel like I've been all three. And, and in a sense of I am a natural mother, not that you have to be a natural mother to be a mother, because I know many people here are mothers and, and, and don't have any children. But we are, we cannot, we are all the sons and daughters before we are mothers and fathers. And I would like, before I talk, I would like you to have in your thought the backdrop of the thought that the Father God is a good God. The Father God stands outstretched at all times to us. He runs to us. He never not runs to us. He talks to us. He's not a frightening God. And it is so right that we understand the fullness of who he is. Because there is a world out there that needs to be fathered and mothered by people who really understand and embrace the Father heart of God. He is who he says he is. And in this painting, he looks vulnerable and loving, clothed in red, striking. The light is upon him. and on the prodigal son. So hopefully I'm going to be able to read my notes. I need, definitely need my glasses. So bear with me as I take you through Luke 15. If you've got a Bible, and if indeed if you've got um, 4G, you'll probably be able to get the painting on your phone. I'm going to look at Luke 15, 11 to 32. Jesus continued... There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth 
in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in, in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizen of that country, who sent to him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms open, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fat calf and because he has been back safe and sound. The old brother became really angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, come in, come in. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been Starving for you, slaving for you, and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a younger goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. You can feel his anger. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. Such a profound, such a profound story. Just to say, I know we know the story, but never underestimate what the Lord is doing right now. Never underestimate that he is here with us this morning caring about you, thinking about you, knowing about you, loving you, knowing what's going on in you. That is understanding who Father God is. 
that he runs to you today, now. He's running to you to embrace you, to embrace us, the Father heart of God. So I'm going to try and do this thing, and I'm like the soliloquy of the younger son, so bear with me. The younger son leaves home. I am the prodigal son. Every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. Leaving home is a denial of the spiritual reality that I belong to God with every part of my being. God holds me safe in an internal embrace that I am indeed carved in the palm of God's hand, but yet ignoring the truth that I'm hidden in the shadows. God fashioned me in secret, molded me in the depths of the earth, knit me together in my mother's womb, Leaving home is living as though you don't have a home. It means that I don't yet have a home, but must look far and wide to find one. Home is the center of my being, where I can hear the voice that says, you are my beloved, on you my favor, my favor rests. The same voice that gave life to the first Adam and spoke to Jesus, the second Adam, The same voice that speaks to all the children of God and sets them free to live amidst a dark world while remaining in the light. I have heard that voice. It has spoken to me in the past and continues to speak to me now. It is the never interrupted voice of love, speaking from eternity, giving life and love wherever wherever it is heard. When I hear that voice, I know that I am at home with God and having nothing to fear. Yet, I have left home. I have ha- I've ignored the still small voice of rain. <laughs> I have ignored the still small voice of God's love in favor of other voices. There are many other voices, voices that are very loud, full of promise and seduction. These voices say, go and prove you are worth something. Soon after Jesus heard the voice calling him the beloved, he was led to the desert to hear the voice in Luke 3 verse 21. They told him to prove himself, his power of who he was. Some voices always reach into that place where I question my own goodness, doubt my own self-worth. They suggest that I'm not going to be loved without having earned it, without determined effort or hard work, pushing me to do everything to gain acceptance and to deny loudly that love is not a free gift. I leave home every time I lose faith in the voice that calls me beloved. I leave home every time I lose faith in the voice that calls me the beloved. And follow the voices that provide a great variety of ways to win the love that I so eagerly desire. 
We search for God's love where it cannot be found. To whom do I belong? To God or to the world? Many of my daily preoccupations suggest I belong to the world. A little criticism makes me angry. A little rejection makes me depressed. A little praise raises my spirits. And a little success excites me. It takes very little to raise me up or thrust me down. I'm like a little boat on the ocean, completely at the mercy of its waves. All the time using all my energy and keeping some kind of balance and preventing myself from being tipped over or drowning. It shows my life is mostly a struggle for survival. Not a holy struggle, but an anxious struggle. Resulting from the mistaken idea that it is the world that defines me. As long as I keep running about saying, do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you know who I am? Do you love me? Do you love me? The hidden side of me. The broken side of me. Sometimes I give all the power to the world, the voice of the world, and put myself in bondage because the world is filled with ifs. The world says, yes, I love you if you're good-looking, intelligent, wealthy. I love you, says the world, if you produce much, sell much, buy much. Endless if is hidden in the world. The world's love will always be conditional as long as I, the prodigal son, keep looking at my true self in the world of conditional love, trying, failing, trying again. It is the world that forces addictions. The world cannot satisfy the deepest craving of my heart. I am the prodigal son. Every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. In this painting of Rembrandt's Amazing, amazing painting. There is more that's taking place than just the passionate gesture of a wayward child. It is also the great event that is seen in the end of the Great Rebellion, the rebellion of Adam from Genesis 3. Though all the descendants are forgiven, Adam's life is restored. The hands of God have always been stretched out, even when there was no shoulders upon to rest them. God has never pulled back his arms, never without his blessing, never stopped considering his son as the beloved one, never, never stops considering you as the beloved one. The father could not compel his sons to stay at home. He could not force his love on the beloved. He had to let him go in freedom even though he knew the pain it would cause his son and himself. It was love itself that prevailed from him keeping his son at home at all costs. It was love itself that helped him to find his own life with the risk of losing it. We are loved so much that we are free to leave home. The blessing is there at the beginning, we have left it and keep on leaving it. The Father is always looking at for us with outstretched arms to receive us back, to whisper again in our ears, you are my beloved, all of you. The beloved on you 
my favor rests. Looking at the painting, just for you looking at the painting, what does, what's the state of the young son? It's got shoeless. What does the painting tell us of his condition? I think it's very clear that Rembrandt is the prodigal son in this. He painted it the last two years of his life, which I think is incredibly poignant. And it's very, as I've said, it's very different. But he probably, you know, he understood something that we all, I need to completely always understand to remind myself of who I worship, remind myself of who I serve, remind myself of who loves me. The younger son lost all his friends when he lost all his money. He became alone and disconnected from the world around him. Henry Newham says, real loneliness comes when we have lost all sense of having things in common. When no one wanted to give him food, even the food that he was giving to the pigs, the younger son realized that he was not even considered a human being. When the younger son was no longer seen as a human being, he felt the profundity of his isolation. The deepest loneliness that one can experience, he was truly lost. And it was this complete lostness that brought him to his senses. He was shocked into the awareness of his own alienation and suddenly understood that he had embarked on the road to death. He'd become so disconnected from what had brought him life family, friends, community, acquaintances, and even food, he realized that death would be the next step. All at once he saw clearly that he had chosen. All at once he saw clearly the way he had chosen and where it was heading. He understood his own death choice, and he knew that one more step that way he was going would lead him to self-destruction. What helped him in that moment to choose life? What helped him to choose life and to change the way he was going? The discovery of his deepest self, to choose life. He chose life. He had to choose life for what he was looking for did exist back home. He knew what he was looking for. He knew the world wasn't going to satisfy, but it was back home and the brace of his father. Weak as it seemed, he realized that no human being would be able to give him the love he craved. I have craved that love. I sat at the back of the church smoking because I was desperate to be loved. The world's love had definitely had caused me hurt and pain, and I had enough. I need I came to this church because I saw that he was real. I saw that the the person, the God that they talk about in the Bible is real. He's a God of faith and majesty, of beauty. 
And I, I stood at the moment, I didn't always smoke, I just had one, I think. And I, make it, I lavish on the fact that I might have smoked many. But I had one. And uh, I remember Ginny Cryer, who, yeah, bless Ginny Cryer. And she came up to me and she said, and nobody knew me, and I, I was a dancer at the time, and I was right at the back. And I'm sorry if you've heard this story, but I'll just tell you again. But, um, because it's, for me, it's very important, because... I was on the other side. I, I could see all these people wrapped up and praising God. And I was at the back, so I could just see people's backs praising God. And I thought, what, who are they praising? Who are they talking to? Who are they loving like this? That they would raise their harm, arms in such beauty, in such gesture, such honesty, such worship. And I watched, and I watched, and I watched these people. And then Ginny Crowe came to me and said, you know, Kay, God loves you. And it hit me in my solar plexus. I didn't want people to tell, I didn't want people to, I wanted God to tell me he loved me. But the Lord used Ginny to say that to me that day. And then John Wright, who now leads Nottingham Vineyard, one evening service gave the call up, and I, my body, my spirit just ran. I might sort of went like this first, you know, as you're just pulled. And I just found myself at the front of church saying, I'm in. This is amazing. You are incredible. You're not going to heal me up. You're not going to just take all my pain away. But you love me with an un quenchable love that cannot be destroyed or taken from us. We need to be home all the time in that embrace of the Father. We need to remember. Isabel Bradley, if you ever need a good hug, she is the one to go to. Or Kim Plummer, they give the most biggest hugs. And it's almost like I remember reading um, a granny giving someone, I can't remember the name, but he was, uh, he was, I think he was, I don't know who, who he is. Oh, yes, I know who it was. It's the guy um, who taught, um, you know, the law guy, James, help me out. The law guy at HTB Conference. Neil, the guy, the law guy at the HTB Conference. What's his name? Pardon? Yes. Him. <laughs> he, he, his, um, his granny, he's, a, um, he's the most amazing guy. He is a lawyer and he fights for justice for the ones who would not have justice in the prisons. If you ever get to read his book, he is incredible. The book is alive. It, it brings up all your courageous courage in you and you just want to go, yes, I'm in because that's what we believe in and that's the truth and that is who we stand upon. We have to know who we are. So my story is this guy, his granny would hug him every time to hold him, and that hug would last. He'd feel that hug when he needed it. He remembered when he was going to the court case, one of his first court cases that he did for a, 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 young, black, a young kid who found himself in a place where he shouldn't be, in a prison where he shouldn't be with adults, and he was going in to be his lawyer, and he brought him out, luckily. But he remembered that, that hug. We need to feel that we are embraced by God the Father at all times. We need to know that feeling in ourselves, that we are loved. You need to love it in the inside of us, our innermost being. And I am on that journey. 
You are my beloved. On you my favor rests. This painful struggle for the right choice, life or death, choose life. Do we reject the world that imprisons us or do we accept the freedom that is given to the children of God? The journey home for the prodigal son is a long one, full of confusion. He is heading in the right direction, but is unable to believe his father will forgive him. So he prepares himself to take the status of a hired man. He prepares himself. But what remains in God remains to the prodigal son a harsh, judgmental God. It is the view of God that makes us feel guilty and worried. Submission to this view of God does not breed freedom. It breeds bitterness and resentment. Receive God's forgiveness. Our darkness is never too big to be overcome by God. While God wants to restore us to the full dignity of sonship, Sometimes we keep on insisting that we can settle as a hired servant. We settle to be a hired servant. Henry Nguyen says, The journey the son is called to make is that of becoming a true child of his father. A true child of his father. The the journey is the same journey that we are called to embark upon. We can see Jesus himself as the prodigal son. He's a broken young man, the young man being embraced by the father. Not one repentant sinner, but the whole humanity returning to God. A broken body of the prodigal becomes the broken body of humanity. On the prayer day, the intercessors who we gather on a Sunday morning to pray for you all and to pray for the church and to pray for our city and to pray for this land. If you ever have a spare time, you are all welcome to come at quarter past nine in the prayer room. I love it. People in there are just awesome. And we went on a prayer day to pray for the church and spend some time just connecting with God. And uh, I took this painting with me and I was challenged myself by the Lord to put myself in the place of where the prodigal son is. And I found it a real challenge to put myself in that place, to come and allow to be the embrace of God. It needs to be thought about. It's not something that we just say and move on. It needs a moment to reflect. That's why paintings are so awesome, because you can look on and you can reflect and you can take your time. I mean, when I was in the National Gallery, I wanted to burst out and start preaching to everybody. You know, you know, do you know who this is? Do you know who you're looking at? He's alive today. Come. Paintings are awesome like that. Art is awesome. I mean, this is, this is made in the 17th century. Think about the amount of people who have looked at this art and have wondered if this is a real living God. So anyway, I'm back at the prayer day. And I sort of, I could feel myself, I don't know if you do this, when you're trying to sort of, I get words and pictures, and I'm sure you all do too. And I, if I'm, If there's a word coming in from the Lord, I can't change it. It goes a certain way. I sometimes try to infiltrate it and try and change it the way I want it to happen. 
But if I'm getting a picture from the Lord, it sort of goes one way. And I have to, I know when it's the Lord, because I can't change it. And it's usually quite challenging. And uh, so I had this, word, this picture, and I thought, oh, yeah, I, oh, that's not for me. Is that? And so I sort of, I could feel myself, I didn't naturally do it. And I sort of did it, I was trying to do it in my spirit. I sort of, sort of immersed myself in the floor in a bundle first before this father. And then I sort of ended up sort of lying in front of him. I, I didn't actually embrace him in the end. I just lay. What does that mean about me? That I stand before you. It means I'm on a journey. And I'm not ashamed of the fact. I'm on a journey to receive more from God. But I cannot hide my pain. I was thinking the other day, when we read a novel, we see the whole of the characters. We see, we get to know them. We get to know how they tick. We get to know who they are, what food they like. What, who they are, the wholeness of them. You get to get a real feeling. Us people, sometimes, we don't really know. We don't see the wholeness of each other. We all have a story to tell. The depth of us all is incredible. The depth of you, your story, your personal journey. We must treat each other as if how God sees us all. Treat the people of the world how God sees them. To feel embraced, to feel the love. If I'm craving that love and I worship my God in fullness, the world outside is running saying, do you love me? Who loves me? Who knows me? Who am I? So we go to the elder son. Sorry, I've just got to find my... Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has have him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and, few, and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you have never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fatted calf for him. You could hear the pain, the rejection. The eldest son, I'm not the eldest child in our family, I'm the youngest actually. But the eldest son... So sometimes there is a lot of that as a whole nother thing I could go into, but I won't today. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate 
And be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. The story in the painting and in the prodigal son is left open-ended. The elder son with his arms crossed is taking a step back from the situation and looking on upon it. We do not know what choices the elder son makes in the end. When the elder son is confronted with joy of the father when his brother returns, a dark emotion erupts in him. You can hear it in his language and boils to the surface. Complaint cries from a heart that never received his due or never felt the father's love fully. Complaint expressed not in a subtle way, complaint that comes out, I work so hard, did so much, received so little, why do people not thank me, not invite me? The elder son cannot share in the joy of the younger son's return and lets the darkness engulf him. Can the elder son return home and re-find himself? Can he? Can we? when we find ourselves being the elder son. Can we return home? Henry Nguyen says, the way the elder son can indeed come home is that we need to be found and brought home by the shepherd that is looking for us. The father loves the elder son as much as the younger son and tells him, you are with me always. We can allow ourselves to be found by God, healed by his love, by the daily discipline of trust and gratitude. Trust and gratitude are the disciplines of conversion of the elder son. Without trust, we cannot let ourselves be found. Without trust, we cannot let ourselves be found. If we do not trust our God, do not trust who he is. The deep inner conviction that the Father wants us home as long as we doubt that we are worth finding, that we are less loved than our brothers and sisters, the truth is, God is looking for you. He wants you home. He cannot rest unless he has you with him. At times we need great strength and discipline to hold on to this trust. As we will hear other voices that say, we are not God's favorite son and daughter. That he doesn't really love us. We must claim the truth that God does indeed love us. As much as he loves the wayward brothers and sisters. And along with trust, there must be gratitude, the opposite to resentment. Resentment and gratitude coexist. Sorry, resentment and gratitude cannot coexist. Resentment blocks the experience of life as a gift. Resentment always manifests itself as envy. However, gratitude goes beyond the mind and claims that all of life is pure gift, an explicit effort to acknowledge that all I am And all I have is given to me as a gift. A love gift should be celebrated with joy. Can we trust that God wants each one of us home? And finally, the Father. What strikes you about the Father? What do you notice about his hands? There is one, if you look, there's one, the experts say there's one 
female hand and one male hand. The one on the left is the male hand and one on the right is the female hand, showing both sides of God, male and female. The loving embrace. The father does not compare his children to one another. He loves them all regardless of gifts and achievements. There is no comparison. He arguably wants the eldest son to be part of his joy. Come and join us. Don't be away from me. Come and join. Don't stand off. It is hard to believe in this love. I get it. I find it hard. It's hard to believe in a love. Even though it's hard, it doesn't mean that we cannot do it. It is hard to believe in a love that does not do the same. A love that doesn't compare us. Comparing is useless. It is a terrible waste of time and energy. Our God, both mother and father to us, does not compare We know this in our mind. It is very hard to accept it with our whole being. The older brother compares himself with the younger one and becomes jealous. But the father loves them both so much that it did not occur to him to delay the party. But the elder son felt so rejected. So rejected. Have you felt that sort of rejection? Oh, I have. So rejection. Rejection is hard. Being isolated, feeling not good enough, is hard. But however, we have a choice on how to deal with those emotions that we, we feel. For all eternity, we are hidden in the shadow of God's hand, engraved on his palm. Before any human being touches us, God forms us in secret, textures us in the depths of the earth. Before another human being decides anything about us, God knits us together in our mother's womb. God loves us before any human being can show us love. He shows us unlimited, unconditional love. He wants us to be his beloved children and tells us to become as loving as himself. It is not how am I to love God, but it is how am I to let myself be loved by God. God is looking into the distance for me, for us, trying to find me and us, longing to bring me and us home. When Jesus was asked why he eats with sinners just before the whole of Luke 15, there are three parables in Luke 15. He talks about the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And in each story, there is an invitation to rejoice at at what was once lost is now found. All these voices are of God. God does not want to keep his joy to himself. He wants everyone to share in it. God's joy is the joy of angels and saints. Rembrandt paints the moment of the return of the younger son. The elder son and the other people of the household keep their distance. Will they share in the father's joy? Will they let the father embrace them? 
Will I let the Father embrace me? Will you let the Father embrace you again and again and again? We're on a journey, a beautiful journey, a painful journey, but one where we can always find the love of the Father. Which character at this point in time in your life do you relate to the most? We haven't got time to go around the whole room. The younger son longs to receive love and healing and reconciliation. The elder son, he was aware of his own battles with resentment, anger and jealousy. And the father's with his arms outstretched and vulnerable. We are all on a spiritual journey. Neil and I are on a spiritual journey. I never... We never stop being on a spiritual journey, but we have choices along the way. But what I do know, the spiritual journey is not complete if the Father remains an outsider. It took me years to... um, I couldn't see the Father at all, personally, for a while. I couldn't see I couldn't get it. I couldn't understand it. I couldn't grasp it. I couldn't understand this Father figure. But I stand here before you this morning saying that he stands, his arms outstretched to you. And when you leave this place today, his arms stand outstretched to you. When you go home, when you go to sleep tonight, his arms outstretched to you. When you wake up in the morning, his arms are outstretched to you. I do not know what you do behind closed doors. And we do not know the pain and suffering that's going on behind closed doors of some of you. And I know some of you are going through huge amounts of pain and suffering. But in the quiet place, in the secret place, I can tell you that the most powerful times of my life is when I've been alone with God. Not worshipping, even though I love this church and I love it with a passion. But at home, alone, kneeling before the Father, kneeling before the Trinity, calling out for my daily bread, calling out for life, to, fill the, to live the fullness of Christ, to bring healing. Go and, go and enjoy your time with the Lord, with the Father God. Never underestimate what he is doing in the secret places with you. He is there today, now and forever. He is the living God. And he is worth praising and giving our lives to. Why don't we have the band back?
Why don't we stand?